Hey, it's Pastor Nick from Grace River Church, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope you find today's message encouraging and transformative in your life. We'd love for you to join us online each Sunday morning at 10 a.m. by visiting graceriverva.com slash live. Now, enjoy the message. Good to see you this morning, church. You look good. If you're joining us online, again, thank you for tuning in. Uh, if you take the time after service today and go upstairs to where our kids are, maybe you've got kids up there and you're going to pick them up, you'll notice we're having some, some work done up there. We've got some paint on the walls, getting ready for the school to launch in January. So we just want to thank you uh, for giving, because without your giving, we're not able to do anything like that. You know, this is not a school that that me and Pastor John and Amanda are launching. This is a school that Grace River is launching. You are, you are so a part of it, and you're making it possible. So we want to thank you for that. You know, I had a little video clip I was going to play, uh, but I decided not to. It's from uh, Ferris Bueller, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I thought maybe it was a little, a little too much for Sunday morning, but it's just the opening credit scene and, uh, you know, the, the kids faking sick from school, right? And so his mom comes in, and she's like, oh, what, what's wrong? And he's like, oh, man, I feel good. And then she calls her husband up, and, and he says, oh, well, what's wrong? And she says, well, he doesn't have a fever, but he, he says he's sick, and, and so he's not going to go to school today. And they say, okay, and the parents go to work, and then he goes off on this you know, escapade throughout Chicago doing everything that young men wish they could do instead of having to go to school, right? But, but Ferris's mom made one uh, futile mistake, didn't she? She said he doesn't have a fever, but he says he's sick. Now, if Ferris had my mom growing up, he would have never gotten away with it one time. She was taking me to a dentist appointment when I was in elementary school, and uh, after the appointment, I said, you know, Mom, I don't think I'm feeling too well. My, my stomach kind of feels weird. I don't know if I should go to school. So I'm just a kid. She thinks, oh, he's just trying to get out of it. You know, he's already missed the first few hours of school because of his appointment. He doesn't want to go to school. So she makes me go to school anyways, and then uh, a few hours later, she comes back and picks me up because I've gotten sick all over the class. Uh, it, was, it was terrible. It was traumatic. Um, but Ferris, is, Ferris never would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for my mom. You know, our bodies have this way of, of telling us when there's something wrong. Even when there's like a little something off, our bodies can let us know. Oftentimes, it's through our temperature, right? Our bodies are designed in such a way that even the smallest thing can cause us to have a, a temperature higher than normal. But sometimes, you can be unwell and f- fail to recognize it. Uh, shock often will overcome someone who's been in a traumatic accident, and they don't even know they're hurt. Uh, it's to protect the body from getting even more injured, right? Our bodies are so complex that we actually have six senses. Did you know that? We know the five, right? What are they? We can see, we can hear, we can smell, we can taste, we can touch. Is that all five? Did I get them all? Well, there's a sixth, and it's called, I want to make sure I pronounce this right. I think it's proprioception. You might know if I got that right. Proprioception. I'm reading a book about it. Uh, proprioception. You can look it up later. You can Google it. But I'm reading a book about it, and it's the sixth sense that helps us know where our body is in relation to to itself. So if you sit there and close your eyes, you know that your big toe is at the end of your foot. You don't need to see it. You don't even need to wiggle it. You know your big toe is there. That's that sixth sense. You know, when when people experience uh, having to amputate their arm or their leg, they report this thing called a phantom limb. They feel like it's still there, even though it's not. 
It can even get to the point where there's pains in the phantom limb. The, 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 the limb that is no longer there will start to hurt. It will feel that pain. And it's actually so important for that to happen because in order to have a prosthetic leg or a prosthetic arm, you still have to have that phantom of the arm being there. If you lose that sixth, sixth sense, you're no longer able to use that prosthetic because you can't tell that it's there. You can look at it, but you need that sense to remind your body that it's still there. If you lose that sense, you can't see it anymore. I read a story about a man um, who mistook his wife for a hat. It's a really neat book. You should read it. It's about a bunch of different, you know, just things that, that go wrong in people's bodies having to do with their neurosense, their neurological system. But it's this man, he was an older guy, and he just started making some mistakes. And his family and his friends are like, is he just getting old, you know, or is he making, is something wrong with him? And one time he was walking down the street and passed a fire hydrant and started petting it on the head thinking it was a dog. And so people were like, why is this guy petting a fire hydrant? What is wrong with him? Well, eventually the mistakes got to be so bad that his wife convinced him or, or made him go to the doctor. And he said, no, there's nothing wrong with me. You know, I'm just getting old. I make some mistakes. Well, then as they were leaving the doctor's office, uh, he's still convinced there's nothing wrong with him. He reaches over to grab his hat and put it on his head. And he grabs his wife's hand and puts her hand on his head because he thought that was his hat. He was actually suffering from a condition I have it written down here. I'm probably going to mispronounce that too. I've lost it somewhere. But it was a neurological condition, a visual agnosia that made it so that he didn't recognize um, objects or people or faces. He was unable to recognize them. You know, I don't think today we're suffering from any neurological condition. But somewhere uh, between the head and the heart, I think we may be suffering from an illness. We can know the truth in our head. We can have faith in our head but somehow it gets lost on its way to our heart. Somehow we, we can know it in our head, but we can't live it and feel it in our heart. It's a disconnect. And certainly it was the case for the church of Laodicea that we're going to read from in Revelation today. I fear our faith has become unwell, but we're unable to recognize it. We've lost that maybe our seventh sense, we can call it. The ability to recognize and know that our faith is in us. In the words of Apostle Paul, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. For some reason, there's a disconnect. We know we don't want to do it in our head, but we do it in our heart. Like the man who mistook his wife for a hat, we've taken that which does not belong on our heads and put it on anyways. We have exchanged a truth for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who was forever praised. We've lost faith. We trick ourselves into thinking we're okay by replacing it with a, a prosthetic leg of, of faith. We put something new on and we say, okay, there's my faith. I think it's still there, but we don't have it. We've lost that seventh sense. The, the leg doesn't work anymore. Our faith is lacking. Like the Laodiceans, we've learned to rely on our money, our masks, and our medicine, and have decided we either don't need God or have little to no time for him at all. Now, don't worry, it's not a, a pandemic message just rhymed, all right? Three M's, okay? You'll see. But Paul continued, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but sin living in me. Church, I want to encourage you today to take your temperature. Find out if we're sick. Where's the sin 
living in us. Like an illness of the brain, it can be hard to see the symptoms for ourselves sometimes. Other people have to see it in our actions. But unlike such illness, we can't determine if our faith has grown cold. We're going to learn a little bit more about that today. But can we pray before we get started? Father, we come to you this morning. Knowing that you're already working among us, knowing that your spirit has fallen and filled this place, Father, would you prepare us to hear a word, not from me, but from you. Father, can I just be a mouthpiece to, to bring this word to the church this morning? Father, can I get out of the way so that you can speak through me? Fill this place, Father. Prepare our hearts. Amen. You can turn to your, uh, in your Bible to Revelation 3, verse 14. I'll usually say if you hit Revelation, you went too far, but if you hit Revelation, you're, you're there. Okay, just flip all the way to the back. Revelation 3, chapter, Revelation 3, verse 14. It says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the origin of the creation of God, say this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have no need for anything. And you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and, shame, and the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I salve to apply to your eyes that you may see those whom I love I rebuke and discipline. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. I will come into him and I will dine with him and he with me. The one who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit with me in my throne as I also overcame and sit with my father on his throne. Amen. It's a powerful word this morning, church, but I love that verse. Who I love, I rebuke. Feel the love this morning, church, all right? It's important to understand the context of this passage before we look into its application. Of course, the book of Revelation was a vision from Jesus Christ given to John while he was on the island of Patmos. It was the last book to be written in the Bible around 85, I'm sorry, 95 or 96 AD, and it was written to the seven churches of Asia. I did the math. It's actually about uh, 22 generations before you and I today, okay? So if you can think of your great 21 times, that's, that's who was around. Each of the seven churches had their own struggle, of course. Ephesus abandoned its love for Christ. Smyrna uh, has endured persecution. Pergamum compromised its beliefs. Thyatira followed false prophets. Sardis is spiritually dead. Philadelphia endured a wicked culture. And Laodicea had a lukewarm faith. Though written to specific churches, it's a prophecy. It's, it's prophetic for the church today, I believe. I think there's something we can learn from it. Uh, a lot of scholars will think that these are the different seven stages that a church will go through. Uh, they'll be persecuted and they'll compromise their beliefs. They'll have false witnesses, be spiritually dead, endure wicked culture, and have a lukewarm faith. So I'm not saying that we today are in that stage of lukewarm faith, but you know, it's never a bad idea to talk about our faith. Amen? The letter be, uh, begins by addressing who it is from, and it's Christ, of course, but he calls him the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. You know, amen is more than just a nice way to end a prayer. 
right? It means surely or certainly. So let it be. Jesus is our assurance of God's promises. That's what he is saying here before he, lets, before he starts this letter. Jesus is our assurance of God's promises, our certainty that the redemption of our bodies and all creation is coming. We are assured of this because Christ did it first, amen? He died and rose again. He, he has new life. He is our sign that resurrection is coming. He is our sufficiency. He who we are to rely on. But if he is all that, if he is so great and we know that in our heads, how come we can't find that in our hearts? Just like the Laodiceans, they chose material things over their faith in Jesus. Why can't we get that straight in our hearts? I wonder if you took your temperature of faith, would it be hot or cold this morning? The Laodicean church knew exactly what Jesus was meaning when he said he would spit them out like lukewarm water. Like much of us, the, the Laodiceans had many wonderful things in their city and culture. You know, my wife and I, we moved here to, to Virginia Beach uh, a few years ago, five or six years ago, maybe more than that, I can't count. But when we started to go to college, we moved down here. Uh, Amanda, my wife, went to ODU to start with. I went to Regent. Uh, she ended up coming to Regent because she realized it was better. Um, but we, we stayed here because we loved the city. We loved, uh, you know, just the culture, the environment. You can go to the beach. You can be in the country. The people are just awesome. We just love it here. We're never going to go back, uh, I think. No, we're never going to go back. Um, but I will admit, there's one thing that, that I hate about this place. And I think we can all agree. What is it? It's the traffic. The traffic is horrible, right? You know, I've gotten used to the local traffic on Indian River or or Lynn Haven, you know, it's made me more patient. I love that. My family comes and, and drives here, and they're like, how do you even live here? You can't get around. It takes 20 minutes to get to the grocery store. I'm like, well, you just get used to it. You know, I've become more patient. But there's one thing that still tests my patience, and that's the interstate traffic, right? I was telling Tony and Bob about this earlier. Amanda and I were headed back to Richmond for the, for the weekend, um, just to, to help out her grandma with a little work around the house and just to visit a little bit. And we failed to check the traffic before we left. I know we're not, we're not locals yet, I guess. But we failed to check the traffic, and we're heading down 64 to the HRBT, and it's closed. You know, they're building a, a new tunnel next to it, and they've got, like, nightly closings. Well, we, they don't do a good job of letting you know. There's, like, one sign, tunnel is closed. Next thing you know, you're at the tunnel, right? And so there's nowhere to get off. Traffic's already backed up. Finally, we inch up after like an hour and a half of sitting there and get off on Ocean View, get back on 64, going the other way. We're, we're planning to get on the Merrimack Tunnel. When we get there, this time we decide we're going to look it up, make sure we can get through the tunnel. And it's closed. It closed like five minutes before we were about to get there. So we keep on going down to 460. You have to take the scenic route up to Richmond. You know, for, for a city that's so big, you'd think they'd make a few more ways to get out of it. Uh, but, but it's hard to get out of Hampton Roads, people. So a trip that was supposed to take an hour and a half ended up taking us four hours. Um, it was terrible, but amen. You see, the Laodiceans didn't struggle with nightmare traffic. They struggled with water supply. That's the one thing that if someone said, you know, the one thing we hate about this place, they would all say water supply. They didn't have uh, fresh water. You know, they boasted a thriving textile industry. A uh, famous eye salve and ophthalmology school, uh, and a great banking system. They had plenty of money, beautiful clothing, and wonderful health, but their water was full of sediment, and it was undrinkable. They built a pipe system to bring water six miles out of town, but by the time it got there, it was lukewarm. 
It wasn't like the water up in the mountains that was cold and refreshing or the water in nearby hot springs that was you know, warm and, and good to bathe in. It had no use. It was useless. It was, it was terrible water. For all the good that the Laodiceans had, like I said, money, clothes, and health, they didn't have the most essential need for life, water. You, know, you can go a few months without food, but you can only go a week without water. It's the most essential need for life. And Christ wasn't condemning the Laodiceans as middle ground Christians. He was just calling them useless. He said, I'd rather you be cold or hot. He said, if you're not going to have faith, don't have any at all. Church, if you're not going to have faith, I, I recommend you run as far away from Christ as you can. Because it's, it's a lot easier to live a life with no Christ than to live a life with a little bit of Christ. Amen? Be hot or cold. But, but he said, I'm going I'm to vomit you out of my mouth. He was pointing out all the material things they had learned to rely on, but ceased to rely on him. Their faith was neither hot nor cold. It was useless. So I wonder, what are those material things for you and I? I think if we are honest for a moment, if we take our temperature, we can confess that our faith was like the Laodiceans. It had cooled. It was lukewarm. Maybe the burning faith of your youth has grown cold. Maybe the pain of loss has made your faith, faith useless. Maybe life has been so good and, and the height of your success has led you to forget that your faith in God is the only thing that sustains us in life. I think if we inspect the things in our life, the money, the clothing, the health, or the money, the masks, and the medicine, if you will, we'll find that our faith has indeed fallen useless in our lives. So what is the money for us? Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not like swimming in it or anything. But it's our prosperity. In 60 AD, this city was struck, not our city, Laodicea, was struck by an earthquake that destroyed the entire city. It was just rubble. And Rome, you know, being a Roman city, Rome offered to pay for it to be uh, built back up, restored. And they said, eh, don't worry about it. We've got plenty of money. We'll take care of it. They had plenty of money. They were the center of Rome's largest gold exchange uh, and suffice it to say, they, they wanted for nothing. They had everything they could ever dream of having. And I don't know about you, I don't live in that sort of, of prosperity, but we do live in a country that has amazing insurance options. And if my house was to fall down tomorrow, I know that I would get a little bit of something to start over. You know, I don't have to worry about those sort of things because even though I'm not uh, blessed with as much money as the, the Laodiceans have, I have enough. We have enough. You know, I don't have to remind you uh, of, of what America looks like. You know, if you look at the news and the politicians will tell you it's terrible where we're living and you have to pay $3 a gallon for gas. Uh, but if you look at the other countries around the world, they don't have cars to put gas in. They don't have driveways to park their cars in that they don't have. They don't have houses to attach their driveways to that they don't need. They don't have it. And, and if, we, if we remember that, if we think about that, we think about the, uh, Haiti, had this terrible earthquake. The whole city and country was demolished. It's gone into ruins. Uh, we don't even think about that. We think we have to pay $3 a gallon for gas. That's terrible. But we, we look at our bank accounts and we think, oh, man, there's not enough zeros there. You know, my wife and I, we recently bought a house. It's a great house. We love it. We're working really hard to fix it up. Uh, but as soon as we close for the house, this is embarrassing, okay? As soon as we close for the house, we're like, you know, it's not our forever home, but it'll work. You know, it'll do for now. 
How terrible is that? We were finally able to buy a house, and the hard, you know, the market was so hard. And we said, you know, it'll do for now. You know, our next house is really going to have to have four bedrooms. We don't even have kids yet. And we're like, you know, we're going to need, you know, we're going to need a fourth bedroom sooner than you know it. It's terrible. You know, I truly believe the only way that we were able to buy that house was by the grace of God. Everything just worked perfectly. But still, I said, you know, it'll do for now, I guess. Soon, we'll, you know, I'm finishing grad school. Then we'll have some money. We'll get a nice house, baby. No, this house is it's beautiful. You know, God says to the Laodiceans, because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have no need for anything, you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. How many of us are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? But we just think, you know what? Oh, I've got enough money. I can buy a new house and I'll be fine. You may, not, you may struggle to make ends meet, church, but even the wealthy can become wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked if they don't keep their faith on the provider of those riches. How miserable to have wealth and still be poor because we've forgotten our prosperity comes from the Lord. If we hurt inside and we think, if I could only have a new car, if I could only have a new house, what we realize is that money doesn't fix those things. It's the giver of money that fixes those things. The Lord says, to become truly rich, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich. This is gold. This is riches we can't even fathom. It's been cleansed. There's no sin in it. It's good. And he says, take it from me so that you can become rich in faith, inheriting the kingdom of God. That's what it's all about, church. It's not about having a bigger house, having a nicer car, having a nicer boat. We'd love to have all those things. Amen? That's not what it's about. It's about the kingdom of God. We have placed our faith and our prosperity, hoping that it would bring us wholeness, that it would make us happy. But all it has done has made us poor in faith. The riches we have gained have only made us poor. And the Laodiceans, uh, along with their money, were known for their masks. Not really, but a particular tunic called a trimata. It was made of this glossy black wool that they had just kind of just found this sheep that, that grew there. It was, it was natural there, and it had this great wool. And so all over Rome and all over the Roman world, they knew of this tunic called the trimata. And if you wore it, it symbolized you kind of had your life together. You know those people that walk around with, with the nice sweatshirts and the nice, the nice shoes? They've got the nice belt. Yeah, that's right. You know, it just, it just helps you know that you've got your life together. When you show up to work and you've got a new pair of shoes on or you show up to work and you've, you've got a new hairstyle, it lets people know you've got your life together. You know, if you were a Roman citizen and you wore this shirt, man, people knew you were good, right? They knew you had your life together. I think some of us wish we could just pull our tramata, our mask, over the fact that our lives are really falling apart. We just wish there was a shirt we could put on and no one would see the pain that's deep inside. No one would see that we're dying from crippling anxiety because, because it's just there. We don't even know why. We just wish we didn't have to deal with it anymore. You know, I'm studying uh, for a master's in, in counseling at Regent, and part of our training includes participating in practice counseling sessions with our classmates. And it's amazing how just opening up a little bit just supposed to be practice, guys. But man, opening up just a little bit uh, will just help you see what's really going on deep inside of you. I encourage all of you to go to counseling. It's, it's great. Uh, but I realize that I love to stay busy. 
Uh, I love to stay busy because if I'm busy, I have an excuse, right? If I'm busy, I, I can say, oh, I didn't get to that because I, I was busy with school, man, getting that degree. Or, you know, I didn't take care of this responsibility because I had to work so late at work. You know, if we're busy, we've got an excuse, at least for me. My marriage can get put on hold. My health can get put on hold. My responsibilities can get put on hold because I'm just busy. But when we take off the mask, when we take off that shirt that says we've got our lives all together, we realize that deep inside our hearts are not okay. We take our temperature and we realize our hearts are not okay. We've put on our mask of, of alcohol. We've put on our mask of drugs. We've put on our mask of porn. We've put on our mask of a nice smile that lets people know, hey, we're happy inside. We've put on our, our good front and people think he's all right. He's a good guy, man. He doesn't worry about anything, but they don't know that deep and down inside you're hurting. We've forgotten, ready for this? We've forgotten that faith in God is more than a mask. It's a new wardrobe. It's more than just a shirt that helps you look better to everybody else. It's a whole new wardrobe. It really cleanses what's inside. It brings you wholeness inside. He says his white garments, uh, he says to, to, to buy white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness will be revealed. That new garment is a new wardrobe that covers and cleanses. There's no more shame that you have to worry about deep inside because he cleansed it. There's no more pain deep inside because he took it away. There's no more filth deep inside because he made you clean. The shame is gone. You don't need a new mask, church. You need a new wardrobe. Finally, the medicine. You know, the Laodiceans were famous for their ophthalmology school, in particular eye salve called, you ready? I'm going to mispronounce this too, uh, phy... Phyrigian, P-H-Y-R-I-G-I-A-N, for those of you who want to Google it. Uh, it was a powder that was made from a local stone. They had this really, they just found out, you know, the powder from this stone was really good at helping your eyes. You know, it was like a little nice eye cream, I guess. But, but it, was, it was known around the Roman world. They would sell it, and then it would, it would get, you know, taken to the different countries of Rome. You know, as of late, our world has put a lot of faith into medicine. And that's not a bad thing. I know some of you are like, oh, I'm against the vaccine. Or some of you are like, you better get the vaccine. It doesn't matter because when you get sick, we all trust in, in the cold medicine, right? You just get a cold. You trust in your vitamins. You trust in your Advil. You trust in your Sudafed. Let's not talk about the vaccine. But we put trust in medicine. It's true. But at some point, you have to trust your body to heal, right? If your body isn't going to put in the effort, it doesn't matter if you got the vaccine or not. If your body's not going to put in the effort, it doesn't matter if you take the Advil or not. We've got to trust in our body. I'm not a doctor, but I'm pretty sure that's how it works. If your body gives up the fight, it's over. If your body doesn't fight, it's over. In verse 15, Jesus says, I know your deeds, that you're neither hot nor cold. I know your deeds. I know what you've done. I know the works, the acts. I know your actions. I know some of you are ready to remind me that, that our faith is by faith, or our salvation is by faith alone, right? Nothing we can do to receive our salvation. You are so right. I agree. But James also writes, faith without works is dead. You can have faith, but if you don't have works, it's dead. A, a tree can be growing, but if there's no fruit, trust me, it's dead. It just takes a while to fall over. Your faith is dead without works. What are the deeds that you should be looking for when you're taking your temperature? Maybe it's, it's your prayer life. What's that like? Because a faith in God communicates with God regularly. 
You commune with him through prayer regularly. What about reading the scripture? A faith in God reads the words he's written to you. You you find yourself in there. That's our source of hope, of knowing who God is. What's your involvement in the body of believers like? That's a fancy way of saying, are you going to church? If you're not plugged into a church, you're not growing. We can't grow on our own. We are not designed to be an island. We are designed to be in community with people. And if you're watching online, there's plenty of ways for you to get involved uh, in, online with churches, even ours. Uh, let us know. We'll get you involved. We'll, we'll show you how you can do that. But, but, but being involved in a body of believers is so important. I could stay here for a while because look around. We're missing some people, right? We all know some people who before the pandemic were here and, and maybe they've made time somewhere else and, and things fill our, our plates, right? We get busy with things. But being involved in a body of believers is so important. It's so vital for your faith. You can read about it in the Bible, I promise. Giving. If you're not giving, what are you doing? God gave so that we can give, right? He taught us how to give by his very living and being self. We've got to give, church. We've got to give. You know, if you're worried about your money becoming a slave, just tell it where to go. Your money is not a slave over you when you tell it where to go, right? When you tell your money you're going to go to the church and you're going to go for my grocery money and you're going to go for my gas money, when you tell your money where to go, it's no longer a slave. You're no longer a slave to it. It's a slave to you. Amen? Confession. We don't talk about this enough, but, but, but the church is supposed to, the people in the church are supposed to practice confession. With, with, you know, if you're in the Catholic church, you go to the Father, you say, Father, forgive me, I have sinned. Uh, we can go to each other, I think. If you've got a spiritual leader, if you've got a pastor, which you do if you're here at Grace River Church, if you're visiting from another church, you've got a pastor there. If you've got a group leader, if you've got someone you can submit to and say, help, I'm struggling. Here's the sin I'm walking in. That's what grace groups are great for. Our faith is one that has to be lived out. We can't be knowers of the word, but not doers, right? We also can't pick and choose which, which verses we're going to know and do, and the other ones we're just going to know but not do, right? We can't pick and choose. We are called to live by certain standards. That means there's things in the Bible that are going to offend other people, right? It's going to offend other people. What we say is true in the Bible, but guess what? It was so offensive they killed Jesus for it, right? So we shouldn't be surprised when people don't like what we have to say. They killed Jesus for it. It's going to be offensive, but we've got a certain standards we have to live for. Now, hold on a second, because some of y'all are amening, okay? Well, there's some things in the Bible you think are there and they're not, okay? So make sure you check what you believe is true, right? Check it in the Word. Be knowers of the Word and then doers. Knowers and then doers. Whew. We can have faith in the spiritual medicine, which is the power of God, but our faith is not followed up by actions. It's what? It's dead. If our faith is not followed up by actions, it's dead. If a tree does not bear fruit, it's dead. So what are we to do? The, the passage says, Christ rebukes those whom he loves. Christ rebukes those whom he loves. If you are feeling conviction this morning, and I know I am, church. You know, Dr. Joe talks about being under, you know, this pressure when you have to preach. Because everything you study it's like the Lord says, oh, make sure you check that before you get up there. Oh, make sure you check that before you get up there. But those who he loves, he rebukes. Know that it's from, the, it's from the Holy Spirit. It's not from me because he has a love for you. He wants you 
should be better. He says, be zealous and repent. Be zealous and repent. If we look back at verse four, uh, verse 19 for a second, the, the hot, you know, it says if you're either hot or you're cold. If you look back at the Greek, that word hot is the same word he uses for zealous. To be hot means to be zealous. It means to be on fire for your faith. It means that in everything you do, your faith goes first. Your faith is what grounds you. That's what it means to be zealous. And God says, I wish you were either cold or hot. But you know what else he says? Be hot. He's not, he's not really giving you an option. He's just saying, I wish you were one or the other. He says, be hot. Be zealous and repent. Finally, open the door. I love that final verse. It says, he's knocking at the door. And those who open the door, he will come in and have communion with you. That's the deed of your faith, is opening the door. Open that door and let him in. When he's in, your life will be so different, church. It'll be so different. I want to tell you a story. Sorry. Of a time in my life where I had to get really honest with God. And I encourage you to be so honest with God because that's when life really starts to happen. And Pastor John has shared this before uh, here, but I want, I want to share it again. Uh, but when I was in college and, and I knew I was being called to ministry, I had taken an internship at a church, uh, and, I, and, and I just had a terrible time. It was just like, it was so difficult to, to be in ministry, and I never really realized, I think, what ministry was until then. Uh, but I just had a terrible time, and I came home, and I said, God, surely you're not calling me to ministry. You know, God, because you've forgotten me. You, know, you haven't been giving me what I need to, to really survive. You haven't been providing for me. So, uh, great is thy faithfulness. Yeah, right. That's what I said. You've got to get honest with God. And it's only through being honest with God that you realize, he said, well, where was your faithfulness, Nick? Where was your faithfulness when I was giving you these opportunities to learn? You know, it's not that he lacks faithfulness. It's that we do. His faithfulness is always there knocking. But we don't open that door. Opening the door is building a relationship with him. A relationship cannot be had if we are not in communion with him. You know, a lot of you are, are married or, or dating or, or something. If you're not communicating with your spouse, there's no relationship there. You don't ask your spouse, how was your day? Did you sleep good last night? There's no relationship there. You're just living together. In the same way, if there's no, relation, if there's no communication with the Lord, there's no relationship there. We've got to be in communion with him. We can be so close, but so cold. We can be so close, but so cold. We come to church every day, every Sunday. We read our Bible. We do all the things I've talked about here, but we're still cold. We're so close, but we're so cold. Ingrid, if you'll come. I was reminded of a scripture from Matthew 14, and Anthony even uh, alluded to it earlier. And I was reminded by a professor in Regent, and he was talking about this verse. And, you know, it talks about how Peter was in the boat, and Jesus came, and he walked on the water. And Peter got out of the boat, and he was so close. He, Peter, before he got out of the boat, he said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come on the water. He had enough faith to say, Lord, if it is you, I'm going to come out on that water. And he did. He got out on the water, and he walked on the water, and he was so close to God that he could touch him. I'm sure he grabbed his hand or something. He was so close. But then he took his eyes off of Jesus. 
He saw the waves. He saw the storm in his life. He saw that, that his life was threatened by the material things, and he fell. Church, I wonder if we're taking our eyes off the Lord. We can be so close to him that we, t- we can touch him. But we see the material things again. And we take our eye off him and we fall. And we get wet. And we get hurt. And we get a mouthful of water that's salty and it's gross and, and it's terrible. But if we just keep our eyes on him. Church, if we just look to him. We find hope. We find healing. We find newness of life. You know, Jesus isn't isn't just Jesus. He gave us a better way to life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, if you come to me, I will give you that. Church, he's calling you. He's knocking at the door. All you've got to do is open it. And I've been where you're at, and I've heard pastors say, all you've got to do is open it. And I think, what the heck does that mean? Be open to, to God being in your life. A good first step is being honest with him saying, God, this is what I'm struggling with, and it just feels like you're not really there. That's a great first step. He loves it when you're honest with him. We've got to be opening that door. I also love where it says, when he fell, Jesus said, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? He said, you saw me walk all the way out here. You even did it yourself. You doubted me. God's going to do amazing things in your life, church. Don't forget the things he's already done, though. Don't forget the things he's already done. It says, when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. That means that Jesus saved them still, right? He didn't leave Peter in the water because of his little faith. He grabbed him and he put him in the boat. So church, even this morning, if your faith is so small that you've fallen in the water, if you've taken your eyes off of Christ and you've fallen in the water of, of life, the material things of life, you've decided you're going to trust in yourself again, you, know, you can swim better than, than Jesus can make you walk on water, it's okay, he'll pick you back up. Time and time again, he'll pick you back up. I know because he's done it for me. We know because he did it for Jesus. He picked him up. Jesus, oh, it's powerful. Jesus descended into the depths of Hades, church. He's been in a darker place than we've ever been. A darker place than we'll ever be. But he picked him back up. And he sat him next to him. He sat him with his throne. And the verse we read says, let me get to it. I'm sorry. It says, I will come in, and I will dine with him. And the one who overcomes, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. He'll pick you up, church. And he won't just pick you up and leave you where you're at. He'll pick you up and say, you're sitting next to me. You're sitting next to me on my throne, church. And here's the, if there's one thing you remember, remember this. We must be willing to to give up what we cannot keep, to gain what we cannot lose. We must be willing to give up what we cannot keep to gain what we cannot lose. Church, we've got to be willing to give up those things that we're holding so tightly, our ability to swim, if you will. We've got to be able to give that up so that we can gain what we cannot lose. What is it we have to gain? Our salvation, our inheritance of the kingdom of God. The kingdom is coming, yes, but we can choose to participate now. Now is the time, church. I'll close with this. Will you stand with me? 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 4 says, His divine power has given us everything we need, everything we need 
for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. He's given us everything we need, everything we need through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us every, he has given his very great and precious promises. He's given you a promise, church, so many of them, that through them you may participate in the divine nature, that you can participate in the kingdom of God now, church, having escaped the corruption of the world. You can escape the corruption of your world, church. You can escape the pain in your life. You can escape the pain of your circumstances in the world that caused by evil desires. All you have to do is have knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. All you have to do is call upon his name and say, I believe. We're going to sing that song again, Spirit Lead Me, after we pray. And I want to just make it a time for you to say, Spirit Lead Me, right? For my faith is without borders. Let me walk upon the water wherever you will lead me. I, I won't trust in my ability to swim anymore. I won't trust in my bank account anymore. I won't trust in covering up anymore. I won't trust in, 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 in my body doing the work anymore because, God, you will do it for me. He is the body, church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you. We are so unworthy to receive this gift of your son, yet you gave it to us anyway. Father, we are so unworthy because even though you gave it to us, we will take our eyes off of you and we fall. And then we have the nerve to say, God, why have you forsaken me? But Father, you pick us back up. You carry us to the boat. You sit us on the boat and then you sit us next to you on your throne. So Father, this morning, we say that's what we want. We want that faith in you this morning, Father. Lord, increase our faith this morning. Father, we call upon your name this morning and we say increase our faith. Give us what we need, Father. Father, we say spirit lead me where my faith is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you will lead me. Father, wherever you are calling me to go, Father, we will follow because we know that you have given us great promises. That you came into this world not to condemn this world, Church, if you need to pray, we're going to have a prayer team down here this morning. But we're just going to sing, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. And make that your prayer this morning. Don't just sing those words. Make that your prayer this morning, that the Spirit will lead you where your faith is without borders, where you can walk upon those waters. Can we sing that? The Spirit lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. And my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. The Spirit lead me where my trust is without presence.
River to where our faith is without borders. We praise you, Lord. Father, I pray for every heart this morning who has been tugged at. Father, I pray that you would bar the doors. Lord, that the Spirit would not let them leave until they say, I need for the Spirit to lead me. Father, before they are honest with you and, and bow their knees and say, Father, lead me. Spirit, lead me. Father, I pray that you would increase our faith this morning as we leave. I pray for those needs who are here this morning. Father, those needs that we have, that we need to be healed, but we, Lord, we know that only you can heal them. Father, we thank you. Father, as we leave this place, I pray you would bless us, keep us safe. Father, we pray for our leader and our pastor, Pastor John, this morning and his family as they are resting and traveling and having fun. Father, keep them safe. We thank you for them, Father. We thank you, Father. We thank you for, for, for leading us this morning. Lord, I pray now as we leave that we will be reminded that our faith is in you or that you give us what we need. Amen. Church, I want to thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you for being a part of Grace River. If you still need prayer, we'll be here. And if you wouldn't mind just exiting quietly as those who are still receiving prayer, do that. Uh, we'll see you next week. Pastor John will be back. We can't wait to see you. Have a great week, church. Thank you. Amen. This podcast is a member of the Grace River Podcast Network. To listen to more of the podcasts in our network, head over to graceriverva.com slash media. We would love for you to join us in person or online on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. for our weekend worship experience. Our campus is located at 5045 Indian River Road in Virginia Beach, Virginia, or you can find us online at graceriverva.com. Grace River exists so that every generation can experience the transforming power of God in every area of their lives.